I'm looking at this race, and for those that don't know, uh, recently uh, Ryan Grimm reported at The Intercept that essentially Chantel Brown, who is her chief opponent, uh, she's like the, ch the chairwoman of the Cuyahoga County uh, City Council. Uh, this district in Ohio is the 11th district. It uh, encompasses Cleveland and Akron. Um, so Chantel Brown has been sending out, well, excuse me, the Democratic Party, the Democratic Majority for Israel, a super PAC that went hard after Bernie before the Iowa caucus. And suddenly, apparently, there's major uh, ramifications for Israel in Cleveland and Akron. <laughs> now they are uh, on the air. They've already spent nearly $500,000. They've already spent nearly $500,000 uh, in negative ads against Nina Turner. Uh, and, you know, politics is politics. You expect lies and distortions. But these are like a whole different level, Jen. I mean, they're saying she's against universal health care when she's literally running ads for Medicare for all. They're saying she's against raising the minimum wage when there's like countless videos of her fighting for a $15 minimum wage. So they're just like blatantly, blatantly lying and cynically hoping, you know, just regular voters who aren't as plugged in to, you know, us, plugged in like us are gonna get spooked by it and think like, oh, this Nina Turner is full of it and is against things for us. Um, and some of the ads that I've seen are even kind of subtly trying to paint Nina as somehow like complicit in electing Donald Trump or emboldening Donald Trump. Uh, one of the ads that ran starts out with images of like the insurrectionists from January 6th. Um, so, and they point out that, you know, Nina uh, said voting for Biden between Trump, Trump uh, was, you know, like uh, choosing, you know, between a bowl of shit or something like that. I, I'm paraphrasing. So essentially, it's, it's pretty much the playbook Hillary Clinton won and Joe Biden run. Like this, this Chantel Brown doesn't exactly have any accomplishments to run on, per se. So they're just trying to make um, Nina Turner not a loyal Democrat and basically lie to voters and fear uh, spook voters. Uh, but frankly, it's effective. Uh, the polls have tightened uh, between Nina Turner and Chantel Brown. Uh, this after Hillary Clinton endorsed her. This after uh, the you know establishment machete James Clyburn endorsed her. Uh, James Clyburn is now going to campaign with Chantel Brown this weekend. So again, you know, I just to make a point, this isn't me saying this is like a Nina bro, but for all those who were calling Nina Turner a sellout and a fraud because she wasn't ranting against the Democratic Party uh, in the in, in the interview we did, or she's not ranting against Biden and the Democratic Party on the campaign trail enough for your liking. Why do you think James Clyburn is going into Ohio this weekend? Why do you think the Democratic majority for Israel is so interested in this race. Why do you think Hillary Clinton endorsed in this race other than, you know, her obsessive hatred for Bernie Sanders and all things uh, the Bernie movement? Why do you think, frankly, my gut, you're going to see other endorsements coming in uh, even bigger than Clyburn. My money's on Obama getting involved in this race and endorsing Nina Turner's opponent. Do you think maybe because they might feel, oh, no, this is not going to be like AOC this is not going to be like, you know, Pramila Jayapal. 
when she gets elected that maybe this person might actually be a threat. Maybe this person might actually play hardball. Just a thought. Uh, but the news today, Jen, is uh, Turner, Nita Turner's campaign announced AOC is coming to campaign, not this weekend, next weekend. Um, I'm hearing that other uh, progressives will be campaigning there as well um, towards, the, towards the actual election, a little after AOC comes. Um, I feel a little bittersweet about this because, you know, regardless of our thoughts on AOC, and we've been very critical of her, you know, it can't hurt. That's for sure. It certainly can't hurt, Jen, to have AOC come campaign for you uh, yeah, among black. Sorry? I said it's an absolutely wonderful, great move for her campaign to have AOC come. Yeah, absolutely. But on the other end, and I'd love your thoughts, to me, I kind of see kind of see similar mistakes being made by Nina Turner's campaign that Bernie Sanders made, obviously on a different level, because uh, one's national and one's in a district. You know, I agree uh, politically, taking off my reporter hat and just like strategy wise, I think she's smart not to attack the Democratic Party, attack Biden. Again, I've gone through the numbers for the audience before, but this is a district that the Cleveland area went like by 30 points, 30% for Biden in the presidential election. Akron went 10 points to Biden over Trump. Uh, in the in the congressional race, Marsha Fudge, who was the congresswoman here and now is uh, housing and urban development secretary. So that's why this seat is open. Uh, she won by 60 points, 60 points in uh, the 2020 congressional race. So this is a this is a vote blue no matter who district. Whoever wins the primary is going to win the seat because Republicans not going to win here. And this is not an electorate. This is not a YouTube electorate. They don't hate the Democratic Party like you and I do. Uh, they don't, you know, think they like, the, you know, they like President Obama, you know, those kind of things. But on, on issue by issue, they are more with Nina Turner than Chantel Brown. So I do think uh, they're running a smart campaign as far as not, go, not going on the attack. But I think they are being way too passive with this all out assault uh, that's going on right now between the ads saying she's not for universal health care, the ads saying she's not for uh, raising the minimum wage, the ads that are subtly painting her as like a Trump, uh, you know, somebody who got Trump in. Um, I think they're being way too passive in their response. And frankly, as I as I desperately wanted Bernie to do, where is the where is the right hand to her campaign? Where is the attacks from Nina Turner's campaign on Chantel Brown? This whole idea, well, we're just going to run on the issues. We're just going to run, you know, a positive campaign. That's nice. That generally does not work in politics. Uh, you have to have some of that and some of your vision, but you also have to know how to throw a punch. I don't see them defending themselves very strongly, and I don't see them throwing a punch uh, that strongly, Jen. Yeah, so... Um, it's hard for me to pick like point by point when you become monologue McGee, but I'll do my best. Are you saying I talk to you? <laughs> Something, maybe, maybe I'm hinting at that. No, I, I think uh, I, you know, Nina, Nina is. This is a, a complicated like political um, race, and it's not complicated in that you know Nina has to do certain things to win in her district. It's complicated, I think, for the online left to wrap its mind around because um, 
for, for the online left, it's like you're either a fire breather 100% of the time or you are a fraud and a sellout. Um, but the reality is, the on the ground reality is, just as you said, Jordan, that her, her district is a certain way and votes a certain way. When you do break down the issues, as is true across the board for for Democrats and left wing, like self-described left leaning people, Bernie style, Nina style policies are exceptionally popular. So they agree with her on those things. But there's a real opportunity for the Chantel Brown crowd to smear her as, you know, uh, in the way that that these folks do for someone like Susan Sarandon, like, oh, you helped elect Donald Trump, it's your fault. So it's easy for them to do that. So what Nina Turner has to do campaign wise is different than what, you know, she would do if she were running for like president of the Twitter extremely online left crowd. Jen, so you know, you know people are gonna get triggered by this language. That's okay, I speak my truth. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I, I think that's a complicated issue, but I think that she's doing a good job of staying focused on that and not getting lost in kind of like, oh, what's going on in, in this online space is, uh, the most meaningful thing. What's most meaningful for her and her words are those folks of the doors that she knocks on who need healthcare. So that's what she's focusing on. As far as her not like fighting back against the Chantel Browns of the world, um, well, not of the world, like against Chantel Brown and against these establishment figures who are boosting Chantel. Um, yeah, I think you do have a good point there, but strategically, I don't know at this point how hard I think she should go. I know that you have um, a different sort of view, like you think, you know, obviously, well, we both agree that Bernie should have gone much harder um, and fought more against Biden. But as far as what is good, like Nina Turner's ahead in her district, right? But how much wiggle room would she have and how much risk would she have to kind of fall if a so-called attack went the wrong way? The general manager sends his senior assistant or something of HR to talk to me and say, hey, this is against company policy. You're soliciting. We don't do that here. And we're going to take the comment down. I said, I'm just going to put it back up. I'm not soliciting or selling anything. That's the definition of the word. You don't understand that. Look it up. That's what it is. And I was very, very nice about it. You know, very, very nice. But still, it's against my freedom of speech to actually put that up. And I brought up another point. Somebody put up that they were saying, vote for me for the Amazon talent show. It's the equivalent of the same thing. So I brought that up to him. He said, look, we're not going to talk semantics here. Different shades of this are going on at Amazon all over the country, all over the world. Uh, because as the media pushes this propaganda, oh, Jeff Bezos is going to space. And like the media is gleeful over Amazon Prime Week or whatever it was, uh, they're literally in that warehouse, we covered the fact that workers are fainting and being carted off on stretchers because it's so damn hot in the warehouse, while the HR and other executives, their offices are perfectly air conditioned and they're wearing hoodies and sweaters. So people are fainting uh, and being carted off on stretchers in recent weeks. You have a lot of workers are literally sleeping in their cars outside because they they're homeless. So they work a 12 hour shift and can't afford an apartment in New York. 
And then you have uh, retaliating against, let's say it, black workers over Juneteenth. I mean, imagine, Jen, if the whole country was exposed to this by their media. I genuinely, I mean, I have a little, I, I'm not naive, but I do think a lot of people would not, would, would sacrifice ordering yoga mats in two hours if they saw what's going on. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think um, it's like your quote that you always say that's, you know, on some of our pages that uh, people, what is it that people, it's not that people don't Most compassion. people are not lacking compassion <laughs> in this country. Most people have no idea what's going on. Yeah, so I think it's it's directly, you know, I think that is very fitting for, for this situation. If people knew about this, then they'd be up in arms. It's it's not the case that most people are bad and uncaring. It's that they don't know. It's that, you know, the New York Times and CNN, you know, they're not showing this right now. Um, they're doing some kind of soft Amazon reporting, but only within, you know, what they're allowed to do. And here we have a case where it wasn't in that specific clip and the entire lives from this fantastic um, rockfin.com slash to watch all of it. But you also read a response that you got when you reached out for comment um, from from Amazon that, that I think is very telling of, of what Amazon is as a company. So in these um, descriptions that workers are giving of these hot conditions of people fainting, etc., you know, it's like unbearable to work there. Um, they're essentially, you know, the, the short of the response from from Amazon's person is no, that's, that's not the case. I your, can sor read it. your sources are wrong. Yeah, go ahead and read it. I think it's important. So when I reached out to Amazon, because I was reporting a story about the extreme heat and people fainting and, and being pulled out on stretchers, I also had screenshots of workers, uh, complaints on the digital board complaining about the heat. So they said, Jordan, I've given you accurate, attributable, and on-the-record information so that you could present actual facts to your readers. Your source information, meaning the workers, is false, and you've been made aware of that. You, you, your continued practice of knowingly reporting inaccurate information is unprofessional, and as a result, this is my last email. So I wrote back. So to be clear, Amazon is not going to respond to the discrepancy between what Amazon is claiming and what five sources are telling me, as well as in writing complaints posted on the warehouse's digital system. I get the corporate spin to simply say false, but it's telling that you won't actually respond with answers to worker complaints, both to journalists and on your own message board, unless those messages are fake too. And uh, yeah, crickets after that, shockingly. Yeah, it, I, I just, I, you know, I had to, to laugh while being wide-eyed when you first told me about that response because it's, of course, it's not a surprise. Um, and it's also just so shockingly bad that you, what, what else can you do but, but laugh and have like a dark sense of humor about this? If they even cared about um, doing good PR, they would say something like, oh, we will definitely check into this. We always want to make sure our employees are safe and comfortable 
um, you know, we'll get back to you and then blow you off and then not do anything or whatever, but at least like do a good job with PR. No, this person, <laughs> this Amazon rep was, was essentially like, no, the workers are, are lying. All, you know, the several workers that you've talked to about this are all lying. Also, you're unprofessional. And, you know, it's just, it's just, they're, they're so powerful that they don't even care about pretending to be good. They don't even care about pretending to care. So I think that's pretty striking. Well, it's also, this is an important point also that, so the audience understands it. The reason these corporations and their PR spinsters uh, do this is because they know within the system they have cover. There's very few journalists who are actually going to go after them. Even the New York Times, who did a, you know, takedown of Amazon, if you read it, it's a very long piece, uh, came out recently. It, I mean, New York Times bent over backwards and twisted itself into a pretzel to basically, he said, she said everything. And, and give all the benefit of the doubt, of, in the, all the benefit of the doubt, uh, to Amazon. And that's what corporate news outlets do. We have experienced uh, dealing with corporate outlets that try to water down our stories. And by the end of it, it's not even the actual story you have. It's just this watered down version to not lose access, to not piss off advertisers, uh, to not have legal consequences. So these, co these Amazon people, I mean, I've seen it, for example, uh, I think, yeah, uh, earlier this year, uh, we exclusively reported that a 38-year-old woman, 38-year-old Amazon worker, her name was Pashawn Brown, uh, she was literally testing uh, co-workers, uh, giving them COVID nasal swabs in the Amazon warehouse in Virginia. Not a nurse, not a doctor, no medical training, for months, all day. She was administering nasal swabs uh, to coworkers. She didn't have the proper mask. She didn't have a uh, full gown, uh, goggles, any of that. Uh, we even saw the video, we even got video of the area that Amazon had her and others testing coworkers. There was no separators. There was no plexiglass. It was very small. So this woman just dropped dead at 38 years old. She came home one night, told her sister, I have a headache the next morning cooks her daughter breakfast, goes back into bed because she doesn't feel well, she doesn't wake up. As I reported then, I don't know if she had COVID because the family couldn't afford an aut autopsy. And when the family asked Amazon to help them with an autopsy, Amazon wouldn't do it. So I don't know, most 38-year-olds, healthy women, she didn't have any major health problems, don't drop dead. So I don't, again, we don't know if she had COVID, but an autopsy would have helped, right? We do know that Amazon recklessly endangered her life. So I reported that I had sourcing in the warehouse. I had her sister. I had her, her mother. I spoke with many people. And I think that tweet, I, I first just did it as a tweet thread. Jen, I think it got like, I don't know, a lot, like 9,000 yeah. retweets or mm -hmm. something like that. And, and when, you do, when you get a tweet like that, that that's semi-viral, you could say. So then Amazon, then like a CNBC reporter uh, went to Amazon for comment, right? Uh, I guess CNBC has a dedicated reporter that covers Amazon. And what did the CNBC reporter do after they saw my tweet? They go to Amazon, Amazon fed them bullshit. And the CNBC reporter just, you know, very dutifully reported Amazon's bullshit and didn't investigate it herself. She didn't try to contact the sister. 
She didn't try to contact the family. She certainly didn't try to contact workers in that warehouse. She just did stenography for Amazon. Yeah, so but that I is why. That, if I remember that tweet correctly, she like quote tweeted you or something, and she was like, "Oh, this looks bad. This isn't good." And then she, her next tweet or a tweet after that, um, that you were speaking of, was like, "Oh, well, Amazon says everything's fine." <laughs> that's yeah, not, no. that's how she, she went back. She went back to her. <laughs> She went back to her masters and, and then reported their uh, propaganda. But the whole point is, this is how the status quo exists because we have a corporate media that's not actual journalism, it's not actual media, it's multi-billion dollar PR for corporations, government officials, and politicians. That's it. So uh, that is why it's not surprising because Amazon knows we don't, you know, hopefully one day, we're not the New York Times. We don't have that reach yet. So they know, all right, they'll do their stories, which they're still important to do these stories. They'll do them, you know, and we'll squash them because the corporate media is not going to actually dig into it. And the corporate media won't report and won't confirm what we're reporting. After the election, Rudy had his famous um, Four Seasons Total Landscaping presser. The very next press conference in November was on the 19th. And this press conference took place in the RNC building, uh, the Republican National Committee building in DC. And so that morning I, you know, I got the, the message that this presser was happening because um, they're, they're often scheduled last minute. And I was like, I'm definitely gonna go to that. I really wanna go to that. Um, so, so I went and it had just like, started the, the whole uh, election conspiracy fraud push had kind of just started to take off. And Rudy hadn't fully revealed just how crazy it was going to get. You know, by crazy, I mean the things that he was saying, the things that Sidney Powell was saying, the things that Jenna Ellis was saying. And so at this point in time, they there were several many lawsuits being filed everywhere um saying that there was fraud that this election was fraudulent so in different states and different places it was it was happening all over the place it was immediately a giant mess as you can imagine because it's at the hands of rudy, rudy giuliani so i went to this press conference because i was determined to ask him a question I I had it in my mind that it was crucial to push him on this rising conspiracy fraud talk that was happening at the time. So even though it was, you know, this was way before vaccines were out for COVID. And when I got there, I, I thought, okay, you know, the press conference will probably be outside, it'll be okay but it wasn't. It was inside in a very tiny, tiny room, which I'll talk about what happened COVID-wise later. But for now, I want you to keep in mind that this was before we knew um, exactly what was to come with, with the conspiracy fraud, including like the, the insane things that Sidney Powell would end up saying, the insane things that Rudy Giuliani would continue saying, and also Jenna Ellis. So this press conference. This was the one where the hair dye was melting down his face. Um, and this was really kind of the start of 
much more dangerous things to come. So um, Colin, if you can play the, the video, the, the Twitter clip of when I pressed Rudy at this conference, please. Uh, you alleged that uh, Donald Trump has won by a, a landslide. Um, we've, we've seen that a lot of your um, lawsuits and, and in fact lawyers have been kind of dropping like flies. What do you say to those people who call this a Russiagate 2.0 just on the other side? Why didn't this, and also why didn't this happen where, where, in 2016? What, what, what uh, fake network do you come from? I don't come up from a fake network. In fact, I am completely independent, have no one above my head. Uh, we're, oh my we're status well, quo, independent. First of all, our cases haven't been dismissed. We only have. Uh, over 20, 20 um, plaintiffs. And, and also many, many lawyers. So I'm saying, what do you say to those who, who call this Russiagate 2.0? I think that we can say that um, Democrats um, have a lot to say that they kind of went way over their head. Uh, pointing Russia, 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 everything. What do you say to those who call this, you guys doing the, the same sort of thing? Answer the, question. the answer to the question is, we don't have a lot of lawsuits. We only have three. Our lawsuits have not been dropped all over the place. You did mention at the top we're that, that lawyers had to go away because they were afraid okay. for publicly. So you're a totally discourteous person. I'm going to finish my answer. So I'm actually really nice. I'm going to finish my answer. The fact is we have very, very few lawsuits. The lawsuits you're talking about have been brought by private individuals and groups. Most of them were dismissed for lack of standing, probably correctly, because they were brought before the election took place. The election is now over. The only lawsuit we have withdrawn is the one where we got the relief that we wanted, and that's the one in Michigan. We also have another lawsuit in Michigan that will accomplish the other objectives of what we want to do in Michigan. So it's silly to have two competing lawsuits. The only lawyer that left a case left because he was threatened. His family was threatened. His children were threatened. And so was the other lawyer. Yeah, that's true. We have a, a little difficulty getting lawyers. <laughs> we have a little difficulty getting lawyers. Um, so it was a, a longer conversation than that. As you can see, he called me a, a totally discourteous person. And that's because I, I did interrupt him. And I interrupted him because he was lying. And so I, I thought it important to um, immediately point out to the audience, to anyone watching, that he was lying through his teeth like crazy. And I, I did that not because I'm a, a completely discourteous person. I did that because I saw the danger of what was happening. I saw how incredibly dangerous it was that Rudy was spreading these lies, that Sidney Powell was spreading these lies, that Jenna Ellis was spreading these lies. And I looked around me several times throughout this press conference in horror as journalists, in quotes, around me from corporate outlets asked questions like, Okay, Rudy, when are you gonna, where are you going to file your next lawsuit? And that is the type of questions that these mainstream big-named outlets asked. And I'm sitting there screaming in my mind, like, what are you guys doing? Why are you acting like this is a real thing? He's lying. These are lies. And not only that, but these are very dangerous lies. And that was... Um, I mean, I don't pat myself on the, the back very often, but that was um, right. It was dead on. 
because we saw what happened on January 6th and we saw what was to come and what is happening now still today. I'd spent a lot of time studying QAnon. I'd spent a lot of time studying what had happened to the most sycophantic voters and supporters of Donald Trump. And so I knew how important that press conference was. And I, I couldn't, you know, kind of hold myself back. And I think that is the role of a journalist. We're there to hold power to account. And I'm disgusted that, that other journalists did not do the same thing. And I have to say, I'm proud of that day. I'm proud of status quo because that is who we are. This is what we do. We hold power to account. And I, I said this on, on Twitter, you guys hold a piece of that. That is because of you. It's because you guys support us. It's because you're members at statusquo.com slash join. It's because you support our GoFundMe at gofundme.com slash It's because of you guys. But we bring this up because there's some news. There's some news that, as we could have guessed, everybody knew, including top dogs in the RNC and the Republican National Committee, that this was total BS the entire time they knew this. So we have new reporting. Colin, if you can bring up the Washington Post article, um, I, I will go through that. So this is new reporting as of the 12th of this month regarding November, last November. The Republican Party's top lawyer called election fraud arguments by Trump's lawyers a joke that could mislead millions. And this is important, not only because like it's inherently important, but Trump literally today posted that if he were to do a coup, this is a paraphrase, he would do it through an election. So let me continue here. The Republican Party's top lawyer warned in November against continuing to push false claims that the presidential election was stolen, calling efforts by some of the former president's lawyers a joke that could mislead millions of people, according to an email obtained by the Washington Post. Justin Reimer, the Republican National Committee's chief counsel, sought to discourage a Republican Party staffer from posting claims about ballot fraud on RNC accounts, the email shows, as attempts by Donald Trump and his associates to challenge results in a number of states, such as Arizona and Pennsylvania, intensified. What Rudy and Jenna are doing is a joke, and they are getting laughed out of court. Reimer, a longtime Republican lawyer, wrote to Liz Harrington, a former party spokeswoman, on November 28th. So this is um, nine days after this press conference that I had attended, referring to Trump attorneys Rudolph W. Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. They are misleading millions of people who have wishful thinking that the president is somehow going to win this thing. The email from Reimer to Harrington, which came about six weeks before a pro-Trump mob stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, shows key figures in the party, 
were privately disturbed by the false claims being made about the election by Trump and his supporters, even if they did not say so publicly. So you guys can read this full article. It is an interesting and I think important read. But my point here is that it was important that we here at Status Quo were there that day because we knew the danger and we didn't shy away from the danger. It's naive to think that all those corporate media journalists didn't see the danger there that day in that room, but they're so beholden to, to power and what they're supposed to do that they couldn't even call that out. I mean, nine months later, Jen is still suffering from covering that long haul COVID. I mean, I don't need to speak for you, but you're still suffering. Uh, and this was the first time recently you were able to even report in the field uh, on our recent reporting trip. And that was not easy. Uh, I mean, it's not easy, period, long haul COVID or not going on the road for two weeks. It's, it's driving through four states, but particularly for you, it was not easy. Um, but to me, what this what this Rudy Giuliani thing and with the RNC lawyer coming out now, it's about a bigger danger uh, to me. And that is a danger that potentially is, is a life or death danger and might keep this country perpetually in a life or death situation for potentially years. And that is COVID because, you know, it's not being covered as much anymore because a lot more people are vaccinated. but. This same just complete, utter conspiracy, lunacy, um, that shit, QAnon, you know, just alternate reality that went behind that press conference and, and Trump and the election fraud stuff is exactly the same thing as these anti-vaxxers. Um, and, you know, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday. I don't think you're a bad person if you haven't been vaccinated, but I, I mean, I have one of my best friends hasn't been, hasn't been, I've argued with him, but he has his own reasons. But a lot of these folks that are not getting vaccinated, particularly Republicans are not doing so based on this same exact thing. It might not be Rudy pushing you not to get vaccinated, but a lot of, you know, a lot of Republican legislatures around the country are anti-vaxxers. Uh, a lot of, I mean, even some governors are not strongly uh, telling you to get vaccinated. Trump is not out there telling his people to get vaccinated, which doesn't make sense if you want to run again because you kind of need your voters alive, right? And right now we're seeing it. I mean, everybody, everybody during this pandemic wants to play armchair scientist and everybody knows more than everybody else. But the reality is there is a surge right now of COVID in this country all over and it's predominantly in areas with low vaccination where people have not been vaccinated yes for the devil's advocate because the pushback we will get well jordan there are people vaccinated who are getting it too yes that is true the difference is it's like way 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 lower uh, in terms of people vaccinated re getting it again significantly lower i don't have the data in front of me and it's not deadly. I mean, 
maybe there's some breakthrough cases, but the vaccine prevents you from death. So that's why I said life or death. So, you know, people not getting vaccinated again, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but you could think, oh, there's a lot of propaganda out there about the vaccine, this and that. But well, you can't argue. Are you arguing with these numbers that are going around? Are, are you are you the are you numbers truthers too? Because this is all along the same Rudy Giuliani, Trump, and you know QAnon Republican Party axis. Whether it's the election fraud, the vaccines, it's all the same thing, and it's life or death. Because you want to know something? This is a mutating virus. So if this Delta variant keeps spreading and these same people refuse to get uh, vaccinated. Well, there's other mutations that could come up and we're going to be playing this fucking dance possibly for years. I mean, as we have been live, Jen, L.A. County, Los Angeles County just is bringing back the indoor mask mandate for everybody, including being vaccinated. So this has life or death consequences. Frankly, it did have life or death consequences on January 6th. There was a Trump supporter, Trump supporter who got shot. There were police who died. So, you know, I have criticized the CNN, MSNBC for covering January 6th, never, uh, you know, 24 seven, because at a certain point there are other things to cover. Yeah, you could do documentaries on the day, but it's very clear they're trying to keep it in the news and they're trying to keep Trump in the news because their ratings have tanked when Trump left office. So that's why they're continuing every night doing more on January 6th and the fallout from January 6th and the commission. But that doesn't mean it's not important. It just shouldn't be covered 24-7 and exploding homelessness and mass evictions and the Breonna Taylor cover-up and Joe Manchin's corruption and a thousand other things, the planet burning um, on fire, literally the Gulf burning on fire, that's not covered as much. But to me, this revelation for the Republican, um, uh, the RNC lawyer, we need to have a lot more of those people start coming out, particularly on the vaccine. Because, I mean, what's next? The mass, mass became politicized. Now a vaccine has become politicized. Like, pretty soon going to the bathroom is going to become politicized. And it has real life or death consequences. I'm not going to argue with like vaccine truthers or whatever. You know, I just don't agree. Well, uh, I'll say some a few things in, in response, unless you no, have ahead. a final. So I, I saw some comments. I won't, you know, call anyone out specifically, but someone said, you know, I'm going to maybe get the vax, but I want to wait to see the long term side effects. Well, uh, and, and saying like it's new, etc. So there's a few different ways that I'll address this. The first way is something that I will get into because I want to show you a tweet thread that I put up on the status quo account that um, like long story short, and again, I will go more in depth after I say this, but I caught COVID at this press conference for those who are new or who don't know. And it, Andrew, Andrew Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani's son. So I caught COVID, COVID at, at this press conference. It, it came out in the news the next day that Andrew Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani's son had COVID. So I immediately quarantined and it turned out that, that I got it. And 
it was hard. It was really bad. I, you know, I would text Jordan and be like, I'm really scared. This is scary because Jordan had had it um, months before. He'd had it the previous spring. And I was terrified. Um, and by all accounts, it was like, okay, it'll probably go away um, in, a, in a couple weeks or a few weeks or whatever. It, it didn't go away. It was just, it just kept hanging on and hang, hanging on. And at that time we didn't know really anything about something called long COVID or long hauler COVID. And so that is what I have now. I still have COVID effects. And about 30% of those who get COVID end up with long hauler COVID symptoms. And just today, there is an international study released that showed that there are over 200 long hauler symptoms that could be present for people. So I won't get into my full list of symptoms. Um, I'm working with the Johns Hopkins Long Hauler COVID Clinic, which I am exceptionally privileged and grateful that I not only live next to one of the only long hauler COVID clinics in the world, but that I have health insurance that, that covers it. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that, but it's it rocked my world. I was not able to return to reporting until um, a, a couple of months ago, basically at all, and certainly not infield reporting until about you know last month. And I would cry in bed thinking, you know, journalism's my purpose. Like this is my role here on earth, and it could be taken from me because of Rudy Giuliani. And I'm not saying like he deliberately gave me COVID. I'm not like blaming him for that, but I am blaming him for having a press conference in a very small, small, small indoor space at the height of COVID at the RNC building in DC. And I am blaming his son for having symptoms and attending that conference. And I am blaming the Republican folks there who thought masks were just not, you know, not cool. They're, they're, they're being forced on us by the government, et cetera. Rudy and his team didn't wear masks. So um, it's been really difficult. It's been extremely difficult. I have two children who saw me in bed for about six months. And that's not how I want them to remember their mother. So... I have a lot of thoughts behind this day. Um, I, I don't regret this day going to this press conference, even though I caught COVID there and therefore long hauler COVID.